Hello, my name is Luke Brown. I'm a sports coach from the UK with a football and sports science background. Welcome to my podcast, A Journey Through Sport. On this podcast, myself and guests reflect and share our experiences working in sports. Hopefully listeners can use these experiences of others and apply it to their own work in sport or day-to-day life. Thank you and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the very first episode of my new podcast. Um, yet to have a name, but my guest today is a good friend of mine. I've coached with him over the last couple of years is Dean Wixon. Hello, Dean. Luke, how are you, mate? Good to be on. Yeah, not bad, mate. How's um, how's isolation isolation treating you over in Australia? Uh, yeah, you know, like Melbourne's uh, Melbourne's pretty locked down, and and I've been off work for the last month, so I'm. Uh, Going a bit stir crazy. It's like being in prison. Yeah, I can imagine. But well, yeah, so what I'd like you to do, Dean, is um, introduce yourself properly about obviously who you are and about your um your, your sport your sport history and your coaching background for me, please. Yeah, so like obviously I've uh, been coaching probably for about twelve years. Started off doing little kickers football coaching, which is like two years old up to seven. Worked my way through through that for a few years and had good fun. Um, and I've also been, and then I've worked up into the women's side of football. Um, so now I'm, I'm currently over here coaching in the second tier of football over here, domestic football that is, um, in the women's game with Casey Comets. And through the way, gone through clubs like Charlton Athletic, obviously with you, Um been a head coach of a club back home in Kent called K Sports, which was a really good, good year running the programs there. Um, yeah, yeah, basically. But now I'm, I'm out living in Australia permanently, so it's, it's it's good. Different different sporting landscape over here. What what are the challenges have you faced through your coaching career up until this oh, point? See, see, I I um as someone who only ever played like quite low-level sort of Sunday league football. Um, I've, I've never been much of a player. Um, I, was, I was okay, but I wasn't great. And um, so I think having to overcome that side of things was quite difficult at times because I, obviously to get one, it, it seems to me in the men's game, you need there's a bravado in it and you need to have almost be better than the players you were coaching. Whereas I don't find in the women's game that's such a thing. Uh, I, I think they respect the fact that I've put the time and the effort in into doing all my licences and coaching badges up to a B licence at the moment. Um, hopefully going to go on and do the A soon. So that's been a that was something hard to get over. I would say um, trying to trying to prove your credentials to players and yourself. I guess um, yeah, that that would be a main one. I reckon, mate. Um, I mean, what are your thoughts on that as well? No, yeah, I think I think agree. I think there's um, differences there between men and women. Like you said, I, I haven't played professionally, and I think I've got a lucky break from coaching through um, sports science work at Cheltenham, and then led on to coaching from that. Um, but yeah, I feel yeah, I think yeah, yeah, you have to build yourself, don't you, in terms of creating, I guess that image of yourself. Yeah. Because you obviously haven't played, 
and it is quite it's quite tough to earn the respect in that regard. And and it's also I mean you you find yourself not doubting yourself, but you you sort of always a bit insecure about the fact that you didn't play the highest level you could, despite the the coaching credentials you may have. Um, so I think yeah, I think that's a big a big struggle that sometimes I may be probably still have to be fair, like because it's that that side. No matter what I do in coaching, that side of me is never going to change. I'm never going to have been a good a top level player or or even a you know even a semi pro player. You know, yeah. Um, but I think yeah, that that's a really going thing. Yeah, but I think from those changes, I think it presents. Um, that's what I'm looking for. Different. It benefits your coaching, though, doesn't it? If you're working, if you know you haven't got the technical, not obviously, I'm not saying you're a bad player, but you haven't got like that of a professional and haven't played the game, then you have to obviously concentrate on different different aspects of your coaching yeah. to make up for that. And I think what you do well with you coach is obviously you look at the social and the psychological side of the game, build relationships with those players, and obviously well, yeah. I mean, that, that's a because realistically, the players at the moment, the, the level I'm coaching at, the players aren't professional level either. Um, they, look, don't get me wrong. We, I coach some very good players and have coached very good players. But we're, we're still at a, a stage of the game where that side of it is huge. And, and everyone, anyone and everyone plays football to have fun and enjoy what they're doing. Yeah, totally so that cool. has to be a big element. I don't care whether you're five years old or 50 years old. That's why you do it. Um, and the psychological side of it and this is something I'm really interested in and the social aspects to the game. Um, and, yeah, I probably put more I probably put more importance on that than many others would do, whereas other – because that's a strength of mine. Yeah. Whereas <laughs> coaches that maybe well for more technical and, and know how – like really getting the nitty gritty of that, that's probably where they lead their sessions towards. Whereas I'm, whereas I go the other way with the psychology, psychological stuff and both have their pros and cons, you know, you, you just need to, you need to know what you're doing and what, how you're going to address that. No, yeah, I think that's a very good point about enjoyment, what you made there. I think if players you're coaching, like I said, no matter what age, you know, I don't think you can get anything out of them if it's a, a dull session Obviously, the challenge, I guess, there then is trying to make every session enjoyable or knowing when to make it enjoyable and when not to, if that, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah I mean, look, it, it changes. Now, I, like have, when we worked together last year with the development under-19 squad, there was a, you know, the enjoyment factor and the, the sort of psychological stuff was really good and it, and it was great fun to do it and the girls enjoyed it. Obviously, this year, making the step up to coach senior women's football, not every session can be bouncy castles and <laughs> and bloody colourful, but there have, there's an aspect on winning the games. But the, the term of enjoyment doesn't necessarily mean have like smiling, laughing, joking all the time. It, it means developing. So with senior players, I've found they only enjoy it if they feel they've got better in that session. Yes. Or if they feel they've learned. Whereas junior players, mm. junior players not so much. They, they may just want that a session with fun games. Senior players, if you're not, if they don't feel they're getting better every session, 
they don't enjoy themselves. So so that that's been a big change for me actually, um, in in how I have to run the the team. Well, what other changes have you had to make from obviously working in the development team last couple of years to now coaching a senior side? But what other cha- changes have you had to make? To myself or to how I do things? Yeah. Um, Both, yeah, to yourself, how you do things, maybe relationship with players. So, yeah, that's a really good question, actually, because of it, like with the junior players, I found myself being a, a, a lot more, a little bit softer in some ways and really emphasising that I want to be really approachable and and because we're there for young, they, these were young players at a, a difficult stage in their life with education and, and stuff like that. This year with the senior group, I need to be that bit more, um, bit more disjointed from the group, I guess, um, because at the end of the day, I, I'm going to be having to make big decisions on how to win football matches, um, which, which, is, which is odd for me because I've always been... I've always tried to be quite close with the group in, in any role I've had and, and be very approachable. But I'm really conscious that I need to have that respect that when I make a decision now that it's it's really adhered to because we're in a result-based business. So that's I've definitely had to change my approach in that to, a, to an extent. Um, I would say in the way I structure things, it's definitely more proactive now so with the under 19s we we use the matches and we learn from matches so if there was a an opportunity that we didn't quite get we'd work on that in the week or if we did something really that really needed addressing we'd do that in the week whereas through this pre-season it's been very much what do I want from my team because we need to demand and get the results that we need uh so it's it's not been quite so reactionary. So I've had to actually put together a plan of of what we're going to train and, and stuff like that, which has been really interesting to do. Actually thinking about the type of football I want from my team. Um, yeah, no, it is very, very, very much different. Very different. Yeah, yeah, a couple of points there. I guess it is different because I guess you've got a mixed range of players now where you're still going to have to use those skills of what you learned, what you used the last couple of years. Because you still probably got players that are still in school, uh, transitioning from school to work or university. And obviously, you've got older players mixed in with younger players. So I guess it is. It's finding that formula where you can work with, with obviously what you're good at, and obviously and put that together into in this new scenario that you find yourself in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a really interesting because, like, uh, geographically, Casey Comments is based on the outskirts of Melbourne, so it's. It's an awkward place for people from Melbourne to get to particularly. And we attract a lot of players from regional Victoria, which is a fair drive away. So, for example, I have an eight, a 19-year-old player who's a good player and she drives in two hours each way. So from country Victoria. And this girl's just in her first year of uni. Um, so that trying to be where I'm saying I have to change my approach, that the approach towards her may is going to be a bit different. Into, it will be more of that development level because her circumstances are very different rather than 
the more experienced player that lives 10 minutes around the corner who's represented Australia at futsal. The, you know, that they're two extremes of, of what we have in a senior environment. Um, and, and you mix that up when we're joined in with reserve teams, they have 15 year olds in their squad. So it's, it's a massive, you got anyone from the ages of 15 to 30. In fact, we have a 35 year old in the, reserve squad. So it's a big age range to sort of connect with and get the best out of in, in different ways. And the other point was you spoke about obviously the style of play now. Well, obviously previous years it would have been either what the first team coach would have wanted or you do something similar to that. And like you said, it's development. But are you are you one for coaching philosophies or playing philosophies? I, I, look, that changes for me with the group of players that we have available. Yes. the The biggest difference from the biggest difference from a development team to a senior team is that I had more control. I have more control over which players we bring in. So to an extent, I can have a a way of playing and a, a preferred system if you like, and I can bring players in that I think will fit that system. Whereas with a development squad, it's kind of you're trying to get the local area talent into your club and then you find a system and a way of playing that suits them and lines up with the first team. Whereas I now I am coaching a first team. I've approached certain players that I've identified to play in a certain way. Um so that's been that's been quite it's been a bit like a kid in a sweet shop, to be fair, mate. Um I've been able to say, all right, I want to look at getting this player, this player, this player, and and going out to get them and and that's got its difficulties, obviously, with the the pay structure and stuff that clubs have over here and one that I don't really buy into. So uh that that's probably another difficulty going back to your earlier question, the the pay scales that we have over here. Uh, for players, yeah, yeah, like I said, we'll get onto that later with the pay scales. Um, but for, for me, I'm not, um, I think philosophy gets thrown around too much, but I think, I think yeah, yeah, but I think what you've done is I think you've summed that up quite well. Like, there, obviously, there's lots of factors for, for you to have a philosophy, and like I said, it changes with a group of players, it changes, I guess, what team you're coaching as well. Um, yeah, I mean, you, your teams need to, generally speaking, your team will reflect the area that you're in. Yeah. In terms of the, the playing group, because most people will live from, be with from within that area geographically. Also, I mean, if I was Pep Guardiola and I could spend 80 million on one player that I specifically want, it's, I would expect to be able to make the system I I would prefer, but that in in the lower levels that that's not happening. That can't happen. You you can't force a player or, or buy a player. Um, you have to. You can try and persuade people and sell them a dream or sell them a, an ideal that you want to reach. Yeah, but we're definitely not in a position to to develop a uh, and unquestionable philosophy put it that way we have to we are still a little bit playing to the group that we have 
and that's that's just worldwide, I would imagine. Yeah, I think yeah, for me, I think it's just providing those players the learning tools, isn't it? Giving them that ownership and responsibility, providing those tools, give them, like I said, you work on their social and psychological skills, and then they go to other coaches and they've got the the skills or the tools that we've that you've given them or I've given them, so they're able to go and learn that different style of play or to be able to adjust themselves. Yeah, it's one thing I'm I'm huge on, and, and players will come in and say oh, I'm a centre back. Well, okay, well we need to get change that mindset. You may be a centre back, but we need to get you in the mindset where you can fill in somewhere else as well if needed. Yeah. So trying to sort of change people's perception of it, because we are at the second level in Victoria, there is a level above us and, and whether they, the aim is that they all want to play at that level, whether that's with Casey Comets through a promotion or whether they move on and develop themselves. These are things that I believe they need to have to, to push on to that next level. Moving on, so you, you spoke about pre-season there. How, how, what's what's changed, obviously, with isolation? So I understand you're not training physically at the moment in terms of meeting up as a team. What what have you what changes have you had to make with that? Yeah, so obviously about a month ago, I think it was Football Australia cancelled all all football, um, which has meant that we've not been able to meet up as a group for a month. Um, what, what we've done, we've, we've given them sports, science and strength and conditioning plans to, to be following. Yeah. You know, it, it's been, it's quite hard to keep a track of that. We've now just put in place the systems to, to get that data recorded. But um, I would say the, the biggest thing is we, we brought in 12 new players this season to the club. So the biggest thing was was engaging and, and socially getting the players to know and like each other. I would say that's the hardest thing I've found over this, this COVID-19 scenario. Um, they, they were gelling well as a group. They were playing some good football. They were enjoying each other's company. And now that's, you know, I know we have things like Zoom meetings that we can do now, but Nothing's as good as a face-to-face training session for me in in that regard. No, no, I agree. But it has to be a uh, something has to be done. It's like you said, the Zoom meetings where I don't know where they can have like a fun quiz or something like that. But yeah, no, I agree. It's it's not going to be the same as face-to-face meetings. But what I think yeah, the challenge is not to when this lift, the isolation lift is over. It's um, you don't want to come back to. Like you said, the squad of strangers, do you? No, we don't, we don't want to come back after this and be like we were when we met in October, November. Yeah, that would be that would be really bad news, and I don't think that will happen. I mean, we've done things on the the sort of messenger groups of challenges and and games among ourselves, but the, there is really is no substitute for meeting each other face to face, and I think people are finding that more than ever now uh, in, in normal life, let alone sport. So we need to, I'm very conscious of trying to keep the chat going in that group. And, and myself personally, I, I try and make phone calls to most of, if not all the players over two weeks. Um, I don't want to harass them too much, but I want to just stay in contact and check everyone's doing okay yeah. for a phone call or a message. Um, 
just to try and stay that little bit connected to the group yeah, uh, and make sure they're staying connected as they can be to each other. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. Um... What got you into coaching football or sport in general? What? Because obviously I know you get a rugby background, played a bit of football. What, what, what got you into the coaching side? Yeah, so like, I, like you say, I played I played rugby probably primarily from twelve to twenty one. I was playing probably more rugby than football, but if I'm honest, I started with the little kicker stuff because I needed money. It, it was a job that that was a good. I liked working with kids at that. I still do at that point. Um, I wanted to go on and become a primary school teacher, so working with primary age kids was was appealing, and it, it was just a job that I applied for and I really enjoyed, and and then it moved on and on and on from there. But it was a, yeah, it was a, a uni job <laughs> that started me off. Yeah, it's funny how things um, before. Yeah, it's funny how things start off like that, isn't it? Yeah, I basically just fell into coaching and it was, you know, I did a little bit when I was 15, 16, but I didn't love it. Um, fell back into it at 19, 20 and, and really sort of found I really enjoyed it and, and pushed on. Yeah, uh, moving on from that comment, what um, have, have there been days where you're like, you've lost the enthusiasm to coach? And how, how have you brought oh. that back? Oh, definitely, definitely. Um, for it, like for the the group we worked with last year, that the season becomes extremely long. Um, Australia definitely. Yeah, like the Victorian Premier League is, you know, you're doing trials in early November, and you're finishing in late September. Really, you're only having October off, and it. You start your trials in November, and by the time you get to February, when the season kicks off, you're You've already been training for three or four months, um, so it definitely, definitely has happened. Three nights a week for eleven months is a lot. Um, I would say trying to take that time to just when I have felt a bit shit about about coaching, and you just have to really focus your mind on something else. Yeah, I find that I have to go like go away for a night camping, whatever it may be. Even dare I say it, miss a session every now and then. Get get an assistant coach to take a session, and because you do have to make sure that you're mentally in the right state yeah. to do it. Um, otherwise, you the danger being that doing something you really like too much, you can burn out, and um, yeah, you have to be very very conscious of that over over the course of your season. What? Um, so obviously you said you needed money, so that's how you started coaching. Was there any inspirations though, apart from money, like any coaching inspirations? So obviously growing up, we had oh, look. Like obviously Alex Ferguson was had back it back then. Josie Mourinho was on the scene, stuff like, I, stuff like that. I would, I would say the opposite. I would say it wasn't so much inspirations, but deterrence. So I know when I was playing. I had some terrible coaches as a, a junior playing sort of local league football. I had horrible, a couple of coaches that were 
what, what would now probably be here called abuse, abuse really, like the way they spoke to the kids, spoke to us as players and, and stuff. And I just thought that I'm quite good with kids in, in the way I interact with them. And, and it, if it stopped a few kids having the experience I had with a coach, that would be a good thing to do, you know? And so it was, yeah, kind of the opposite to, I think I was too young growing up to appreciate good coaches. I knew good players, but I didn't appreciate good coaches at that point. Um, but I knew what a bad coach was and I knew how that made me feel. And I, I sort of wanted to make sure that didn't happen to another kid. Can you um, give us an example? Of the, of the of bad example poor coaching? Yeah, of a poor coaching session that you've been involved with. I don't want you to drag them through that mind just now. No, I mean, I, I remember being a young lad and the, the, the coach had, I mean, he was probably right, but it, it wicks in your fat bastard. Do you, do you know what I mean? And the way they speak to, the way you were spoken to, it just wasn't, it just didn't sit well with me. It still doesn't, to be honest. Um, but but have I had I had not had those sort of experiences, I wouldn't be the coach I am now. So I wouldn't change it necessarily, but I would try and avoid players having that experience again in, under my sort of supervision. Yeah. So was there any coaches that you, you looked up to when you when you played rugby and football? Oh yeah, so like de- definitely. I mean, the rugby, the rugby space is is incredible. The people involved in in rugby were fantastic. Um, don't get me wrong; there were more positives people could say to me about rugby than there were football. But so that probably tars my opinion a little bit. Yeah. But um, definitely, I had a had coaches at Tring Rugby Club who were fantastic, extremely positive. Wanted you to push on, and 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 I mean that flew all the way through into senior rugby as well. Um, so yeah, no, definitely hundreds of experiences, good encouragement, good laugh with the players before, during, and after the game. Um, yeah, de- definitely, there's more good coaches than bad coaches, but um, unfortunately, it's the bad ones that stick in your mind a bit more, isn't it? Yeah, what's um... So obviously, like you've got a rugby and football background, what what are the differences in coaching styles, um, coach engagement, I guess, with players, relationships, the, the differences, and and have you used the, obviously the positive ones from rugby in, when you're coaching into football? I think I think rugby there is way more of a focus on the psychological side of the game. Yeah. I think because you are literally going into battle when you're playing a game of rugby. It's, it's you know that you're going to run into a an eighteen stone bloke, and you need to be mentally prepared for that, and and you're going into a essentially a fight. So you need to know that your teammates are a group and that, that you're going to stick up for one another. I, I don't think that's necessarily the the way in football. Certainly not to the levels I played. An awful lot of individuals that thought they were the better player and best player in the world. And, and that was that. Um, so, yeah, I, 100% I bring that sort of team bonding style to my coaching, that that rugby side of it and the, the, the discipline on the pitch, off the pitch, I'm, I'm 100% on that. Um, even, even with, like, your warm-ups and stuff, I like 
things to be linear and and look almost look like an army training drill, um, which is very much a rugby thing as opposed to football. Seem the way footballers I come across now, they're very much more loose in in don't understand why things need to look good before, during, and after a game. Um, I don't I know. We've worked with people and we, we've seen other teams turn up and look a bit of a shambles when they turn up and conduct themselves badly on the pitch and then conduct themselves badly after the game as well. So um, I'm really trying to steer away from that because you don't see much of that in in a rugby setting. Yeah. No, no I agree. Yeah, I think definitely last season there was a couple, wasn't there? Yeah. I look, correctly. I remember correctly the team having a fine list for missing penalties and stuff like that. Which yeah, I'm, I'm not. Practice. Don't get me wrong, I'm not an angel when I'm on the sideline. Oh no, that's, no, that's, no, 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 no. I'm not an angel, but I'm dirt, certainly. I like to think I always stay fairly respectful, especially to my own players and opposition players. Um, I don't. Yeah, like you say, you mentioned there we we saw a team have fines for missing penalties and and giving away free kicks, it's probably a bit much for me because it's that's all part of the game and that's just honest mistakes. But, um, yeah, I, I definitely think discipline in terms of little things like only the captain speaks to the referee. There's a problem in football that people surround the referee. Where you can Rugby shouldn't be commended on that. That's just how things should be done. You know, if, if you can control people with that adrenaline running through their head, in a rugby game, then surely football footballers can do the same as well. Yeah, um, I agree. So little thing, little things like that, I, I really like. I, and I, I guess the captaincy of a team, I take really important, make a really important point of, um, which is probably a cricket rugby type mentality, where the the captain is very influential in the changing room and and on the training pitch. We've both been fortunate to coach in different countries and we obviously got to work with each other in Australia. But what would you say the differences are between coaching obviously here in the UK and um, and obviously in Australia from your own experiences? I, that's an interesting point because, like I said, when I had Natasha Dowie on, I asked her basically the same question. Uh, yeah, um, I, yeah, I listened to her and she said about the mentality, which I, I think I totally agree with that. Yeah, she she said the mentality over here is a little bit soft. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah, um, I'd, uh, I'd I'd definitely agree with that. Uh, I think I've been in positions over here where there is a much more sort of softly softly approach with with players, um, whereas back home it is a little bit more honest. And I mean, not to the extent that you should be or can abuse players. Verbally, but um, certainly it's a much more accountable society, I think. Um, and, and here here it has to be a little bit more PC in, in many ways. But, but as, as again, as Natasha said in our, in our chat, like female football, male football, England, Australia, it should just be treated as football. And, and that's yeah. the way I kind of try and go about it. Obviously, with the different cultures and way of behaving, that that will have its ups and downs over time. But 
have to stick to a way that I feel is right and and ride the roller coaster that that will probably bring me on. No, yeah, no, I agree. I think yeah, from especially last year, I think one thing I definitely picked up on from the sidelines is if someone made a mistake, that the players would say, "Well done." But it's not what what I'm trying to say is that they sh- they should be making mistakes. I, I think I always when I'm coaching, I always try and encourage mistakes so they can learn from it. But is there a sense of if you keep saying well done when they make do something wrong or they could have done something yeah. or they could have done something better, is that just gonna promote that behaviour? Because I know that at the start yeah. that happened all the time. And it's like great they're trying to try new stuff, that's fantastic. I mean that's what you want to promote, but it, it, where's that line where you say, Oh, Oh, you keep saying, well done, you've made a 10-yard pass and he's got it wrong every time. Do you, do you know what I mean? It's, it's, yeah, oh, mate, definitely. I, I think when it's great that the players are trying things and getting it wrong, that's fine, especially in that development phase. You've also got the other players trying to encourage, which is great. But what it says to me is probably that there's not that understanding of the game as such. At yeah. times, and, and yeah, that instead of saying well done, it'd be good, good effort, and then hopefully help coach each other. So, good effort next time, just put a little bit more pace on the ball or, or whatever it may be, um, rather than saying well done when you know if you've passed to the opposition, you, that's not really that well done. Um, and I, I'm, I say that to my players now as well, like I, I'm, I'm very much on that wavelength of it's well done if it's come off. It's a good effort if it hasn't quite come off, but the idea was great. you know. Or just say, great idea. If the idea was right and the execution wasn't. Um, but yeah, the, the, there's that. There's also, I mean, as I, I, was a, I coached the first team at the club I was at for a few weeks last year, and I made some big calls in my little time there. I, I sort of changed the starting lineup a little bit for a few games and, and um, things like when players are dropped who don't believe they should be dropped, the the attitude and, and the the way they conduct themselves was not necessarily I, I what I would have expected from senior players um, and not something I'd seen from players back in the UK and, and certainly not something I would expect to see from my, my senior squad now at Casey Comets. Um, so yeah, they're, they're all different things, but like I keep saying, it's a learning curve, and and things will get. There'll be a roller coaster throughout this journey with it, um, as as you learn more and more. Yeah, I think one of the in terms of talking that level of coaching at last year, one thing I had in my head was bad habits from players. Yeah, but I, I don't know whether that is. So obviously, I'm comparing the second tier over there to the second tier over here in women's football. But if you have, like, so you have players who receiving the ball at Whittle in under nineteen seniors who can't take it on the half turn, who are using their. I've seen a few players using their toes. Um, I don't know whether that's bad habits or is that is that the coaching standard in Australia compared to England. I know a lot of obviously because I know you have obviously state leagues where a lot of the parent a lot of the parents are coaches. So I'm guessing that that couldn't have obviously an effect on it, but. Um, yeah. yeah, sorry. Yeah, I mean, definitely the Australia it is, it is behind, especially in the women's game over here, because it's not been as popular for as long. That's, that's a big thing as well. 
you know, if you if if something starts in earnest twenty years later than in another country, it's going to be that that bit behind. Yeah. Um, I just think the quality of coaching, the sort of standards and coaches' knowledge, as with any country, can always be getting better and better and better. Um, but I think goes back to that sort of mindset. I, I don't think people are accountable. Um, I'm, I'm quite, I, th- I like to think I'm quite good at holding my hands up when I think I've done something wrong. Um, or if that hasn't quite worked out, I'm, I'm quite good at beating myself up about it. Um, whereas I don't know if that's necessarily the, the general way of thinking uh, with, with coaches in general, to be honest. Um, I, I don't think many... If something goes right, it's it's the coaching being great in their, in coaches' minds. If it goes wrong, it's the players not being good enough. Whereas I, I sort of look at it the other way around. Yeah, no, um, sort of. No, I totally agree. Sort of I, think I think that's what we did last, did well last year, and I think for, for, yeah. me, for me, coaching, I think I've always looked at the ownership and responsibility of players, but but for myself, providing them with the tools, because I remember that I think couple of games in both with uh, our, um, at the development side and the other teams I was coaching when they, they got the ball and they, they didn't know what to do with it so they was looking at the coach they were literally looking at me what to do with it yeah and uh, I don't and yeah I was quite yeah I was quite taken back by that or if they did yeah, something wrong they looked over do you know what I mean and, and I think if you put players in a position that they're not capable to deal with, that's the coach's fault. For yeah. me, for me. So if I'm if I'm giving instructions and players aren't understanding it, that's my fault. It's not a player's fault, you know. And and if I've put them in a level that's too high for them, that's my fault. Um, it, because my judgment was wrong in the first place. That player's ability hasn't changed overnight. Um, that was my judgment. So yeah, it's. it's it's a really interesting debate as to coaching ownership and, and where the blame lies or, or where the where the success is from. You know, it's it's you could almost talk about that all day. Yeah, so leave on to that then. What about so obviously is reflection a big part of your coaching career? Yeah, huge. I, I think it has to be. Um, generally speaking I've coached at clubs and, and places that are 20, 30 minutes away from, from home. And that I can almost guarantee every session that 20, 30 minutes at least is spent talking to an assistant coach or mulling over in my own head how, how successful the session was. In some cases, I'll ring the, the more senior players in the squad and get their opinions. Yeah. Um, always, always reflecting on that. And as for a game day, it literally is at least a game day for me. Like I'll be prepped all morning and sort of re- replaying the game and, and scenarios in my head all evening at least. No, um, I agree. Enough you know, and, and not beating myself up. You have to sort of, you know, little list of two or three things that you did well, two or three things that weren't quite right from myself. Forget the player on the game day. I sort of forget the players. Um, uh, after the game, none of it's their fault as such. Um, that only comes when I'm starting to plan training sessions. We look at that, but the first two or three 
the first day after a game is is all about me really and and what I could have done and shouldn't have done. Yeah, I think for yeah, I think the first thing you look at yourself before you start looking at players. Did you give them the best opportunity to learn? And I think I really yeah, I mean. I mean, we've had some good conversations over the last two, three years after matches and training, haven't we? Yeah, exactly. And we're both as bad as each other for probably beating ourselves up a little bit too much. But in essence, if if I've asked players to to do one thing and that thing hasn't happened, there's two ways. There's a way of looking at it and saying the players aren't good enough, or there's a way of saying I've obviously not. No one's understood what I've said. The, yeah. You know, it's if if half the players get it and half don't, or I haven't said it well enough. Yeah, you know, like that's that's the way I look at it, um, and, and it, it's a, the only way I think I've got better over a, in a short space of time, and, and the only way I'm going to get even better. No, yeah, no, I agree. Yes, I so I think like you are. I'm, Quite done a couple of things. I know, obviously, I chat to you quite a lot after matches and training sessions. Um, also, yeah, just like like I said, a little reflection, and then action points for next week. I think that's that's the best way to do it. And I feel I feel, I feel a lot better by doing it because I feel like for me, I don't know about you, my sessions improve, and I guess my detail yeah. and all these. Because then I think you're always aware of because football's a never changing game. I think you're always aware of that now when you when you start to reflect. Yeah, for sure, a hundred percent. Especially in a, in a squad of players, just a wide range. You get a wide a wide range of players, don't you? You get the ones that are of like yeah. I guess I can try and think of a better term, but hardcore players that will play week in week out, and they'll they'll go home yeah. and train. And obviously, you get the ones that they're in the team on the social side. Um, but then, um, but then it makes them more responsive. It makes the, they they seem to me they're. Res- Maybe that's the style of coaching that I have. They, I, I seem to get more response and more respect from female players quicker and more efficiently than I do from boys playing. Yeah. And I guess, but then, because you get that wide range, again, like I think, I know we mentioned this earlier, you, you really do have to adapt. You really do, yeah, because like you said, You've got players that want to work really hard. You've got players that are unfortunate they're for the social side. So you depend on the level. If it's great, if if that's the aim of it. But obviously, if you're in a development team in a National Premier League side and you're aiming to get the you're aiming to get first team, it does it provides those difficult obviously maybe conversations, yeah. challenges and how how do you keep the whole group engaged and how can you change that from being them being there for a social, especially at that level, to take it maybe taking it a bit more seriously. Yeah, I agree. I think that it's hard. It shocked me when I first came here that there was that at that higher level. Um, obviously, working at home um, at a good level of female football, we, the, the players were there because they wanted to progress and move on. And even at the age of 13, 14, they wanted to play first team football. Here, that's not necessarily the case. I, I think the game is a lot younger here, though. Um, yeah. They haven't been like people haven't been playing it for quite so long, and, and the, it's getting there. The seriousness is getting there as these play as senior women players get more celebrity, I guess, more famous. Um, people are starting, girl, young girls are trying to make it there, but 
even at the highest levels, you will have players that still want to just are just mainly there because they like playing soccer or football. Yeah. Um, they like it and they like hanging out with their friends. Um, and that's quite hard to balance when you've got players that absolutely love the game and, and really are driven at 13 years old telling you they want to play in the States, they want to play Matildas. Um, it, it's hard to... You, the differentiation in your session has to be very, very on point and accurate to be able to hit both of those spectrums. Yeah, no, I know, I agree. Um, in terms of what you mentioned there about women's football, how do you think, or what do you think about the growth, in, especially in the last what, four years? Oh, it's great. I mean, and it opens up opportunities for players, coaches, everything. And and, and look, it's a good product. I, th- I actually, I've, over here, we have access to the Women's Super League show the BBC show and, and I watch that every week and, and the standard of football is going up and up. Yeah. Um, I mean, your, your top teams are Arsenal, Manchester City, Chelsea. Um, these guys, these teams are playing good football. There, there's no doubt about it. There's some good football on show there. And and as that league gets stronger and stronger, um, you know, Sam Kerr coming over is a, is a, an awesome result for Australian female football and actually the league because she's a big name in, in women's football now and and that's only going to strengthen more and more as we go on so it's and it's good to be able to give the girls that I coach something to aim towards Yeah I think I loved um, last year with the girls I coach with the under 12s they, um, they they really good knowledge on their Australian women footballers they loved absolutely loved Sam Kerr and it's great to see that their involvement or them watching and being into the Women's World Cup um, last year. That was really good to see. And that, yeah, and that's what we want coming through because then, like I'm saying about those boys that are more invested in the game outside of their sessions, we're starting now to get those 11, 10, 11-year-old girls that are the same, Yeah, that have got that ingrained love, which we... You know, we haven't really had that before. So as those players come through, and then you'll see standards really changing and 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 going on leaps and bounds. But it just took a Sam Kerr to come come around to really ignite that passion. You know? Yeah, I think I think I had a um, last year a player come up to me. I think she played a lot of football manager. It was just random sessions. She'll come up to me <laughs> and talk about different different formations and and stuff like that. It was uh, it was brilliant. Loved it, really enjoyed it. Yeah, see, that's great, isn't it? That, yeah. That's what we want, and, and that's how the game pushes on. Yeah, no, no, I agree. So, I think we're coming towards the end of uh, our first episode. How would you, um, could you conclude your thoughts there, Dino, about, about what you've said during the course of this episode? Yeah, look, I think sort of to finish off, yeah, I mean. Coaching is, I think, I would recommend any coach wanting to go further and, and, and keep in the game is to keep reflecting on on what you do uh, because that's ultimately the only thing you can control. Yeah, I can't control what someone else does. I can control completely how I behave and, and how I change and adapt. Um, you have to know what, what players will respond to and that differs player to player, team to team, day to day. 
the same player maybe may have five different moods that they can turn up in, and you need to you need to know as best you can how to hit each and every one of those. Um, and just make sure that you know what you're doing with a coach and believe in that. To otherwise, you obviously question what you do and and reflect and everything like that, but. You need to have full belief in what you do, and and push through with that. I would say, uh, yeah, and and follow what you you never know what you may fall into. Um, I fell into coaching ten years ago almost, and and then that stretched on and put me into women's football, and and now I'm I'm doing what I want to be doing in in the game. So uh, you never know what's going to happen. Yeah, nicely put. Nicely put. And then, just for a bit of fun, at the end, so obviously I know we're stuck in isolation. I want to I want you to pick yeah. your isolation five-a-side team. So who would you like to be stuck inside with for five um, during isolation? Have to be don't have to just be footballers, but they have to be sports stars. And you've got to pick a coach. So I guess it'd be like a six-a-side team because you're including yourself. So you got. I reckon, oh, that's, that's quite a good one, actually. Um, coach, coach, I reckon it'd have to be, uh, I don't know, I, I reckon it'd be quite a laugh, actually. Be old uh, Roy Keane. Roy Keane. He'd be my coach. <laughs> stuck in what way? Why? Well, because if you're stuck indoors with Roy Keane, there's no laying about, is there? No, but there's... You're, He's making you get motivated. He's making you move. Would you be out of breathe, though, in there? Yeah, it'd be brilliant. I love Roy King. He'd he'd get everyone moving, mate. The next five have got to be real careful because, obviously, if he falls out with one of them, then they're slicing. Yeah, no. I mean, if it happens for, like, the next six months, you're in trouble. I want to him Mick Carthy or a Harland, put it that way. Um, (laughs) Like, who would you go? I'd have to go... I'd have to go because he was my hero when I was a kid, David Seaman. David Seaman, working David Seaman, yeah. Working and David Seaman, they'll, they'll get along. Um, as, as you know, Matt, I'm an Arsenal fan, but I'd have to go the Romford Pele, Ray Parler. I see. Would that, to... would that work with Roy Keane, though? Yeah, that'll work out. Um, I think... I think I'd go, uh, if I'm stuck indoors with them, trying to pet me up and get me fit, I'd go Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah. I reckon I reckon just for the, just for someone to try and get me on the treadmill, that'd yeah, be, yeah. It'd be, it'd be a good one for that. I'd go, That's who would I have? Who's going to be me? Who's going to be a defender? Christ. No, they don't, they don't um, always have to be footballers. They can be other sports stars as well. I don't really know. Oh, I'd probably go... Um, I'd probably go Will Greenwood, won the World Cup with England, actually. Rugby player. He's a good laugh. Is, 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 it, it just, been, is he's a good laugh or is there a reason behind yeah, that? Just because he's a good laugh. He'd keep your spirits up, wouldn't he? So, what's that? That's, keep, just, just, that's four. Oh, one more then. Here we go. And just just because I want to see him, uh, just because I want to see him and Roy Keane in the same room together, see how long it lasts. Ronnie O'Sullivan. Oh, 
Well, I, I thought he was going to say someone like Patrick Vieira, Robbie Savage, or no, no, no. Why, no. why, 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 uh, why that one? Because I know he's a Ronnie O'Sullivan. Because yeah, you, well, you've got Roy Keane trying to keep David Seaman, Ray Parler, Will Greenwood, and uh, Ronnie O'Sullivan all intact. That's that's. That's yeah. five people. Yeah, love it. Yeah. I'll have to, I think, do you know what? I'm going to have to write that one down. I think that's a, maybe we can have like a little sim competition or something with other guests. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, okay. Um, thank you very much, Dean. I really enjoyed this. Hope we can get you back on and we can have a part two. Yeah, perfect. Cheers, mate. Been, uh, been good to talk to you. Yeah, cheers, man. Your own podcast with uh, actually, you can explain it. I'm, I'm not going to take away the uh, glory from that. You can explain the new podcast, <laughs> yeah. So, for COVID 19, uh, in this COVID 19 scenario, I started my own podcast called Sport Mental Health, and it's all COVID 19's fault. It's just a it's a pod where we, we get sports people from coaches, players from all different disciplines on just to talk about mental health and how they've gone on in how it's affected their sport, how they would, how they get past difficulties. And yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting listen, I, I think, I hope. Yeah, I've, I've listened to a couple. They're quite good. I'm waiting for my invite, though, to be honest, Dino. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, it went, it went quite well. We got Natasha Dowie on for anyone who may know her. If you don't, she's played it for England and uh, played across in America and, and over here in Australia. So um, it's, it's great to get, uh, established players interested in, in talking about that side of things, especially at the moment. Yeah, so I'll talk to you later. I'm going to go and have some dessert now. Oh, yeah, what's the dessert? Um, just a bloody chocolate pudding thing. Yeah, I see. I should put this in the podcast. It's like, <laughs> yeah, best bit yeah, exactly. <laughs>